Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. What a good, good, good father we have. And happy Father's Day again to everybody. Uh, as you're turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42, that's where we'll be today. I just wanted to pay a little homage to the dads. Um, kind of a tradition with dads, the bad dad jokes, right? And, uh, it, you know, it, it's interesting when you think about it. Uh, dads a lot of times love fishing. How many guys are going to go fishing this, this week? Woo, right? Yeah, it's a dad thing, right, going fishing. And, and everybody knows that dads, at least in their own minds, know that if by fishing they are real men. Uh, okay, okay, that's, it gets worse. Okay. Well, they might be real men, but most dads aren't famous. But here's a test for you. What do you call a fish that is famous? A starfish. That's better. Okay. What do you call fish with no eyes? Psh. No eyes. <laughs> okay, so it gets easier. What do you call fish with no legs? Fish. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you call the soft tissue between the teeth of a shark? A very slow swimmer. <laughs> I probably need to scale back my fishing jokes and get into the message this morning. Okay, so here we are in Genesis chapter 42. Uh, as we get going into this, I don't know, that almost was like a test, right, to see if you could get the right answer to the bad dad joke. How do you feel when you know you're going to be tested? For some of us, it's, it, it's like we get test anxiety. Anybody ever have test anxiety before? And sometimes you feel like you're going to move into fight or flight mode because of the stress of being tested. Well, let me ask you a question. What if? You know that your teacher will give you all the test answers before you take the test. How does that make you feel? Probably a little better, right? But what if you were absent that day or you failed to study even though you've been given all the test answers? There's all kinds of testing. A lot of us like testing. I talked about fishing, you know, a, a, a hobby, recreation, sports. A lot of sports is competition. Competition is a test to see how well you would do. If you get involved with some kind of competition or maybe you're up for a job interview for this great job that you want, sometimes that kind of test is fun. It's exciting. Uh, it gives you a chance to shine and really show your stuff. So testing is just a part of life. And often, it's what we look at the test and, and, and perceive it to be. Well, chapter 42, 43, 44, and 45, those four chapters are one big test in the book of Genesis. We're in the life of Joseph. The final 25% of the whole book of Genesis deals with the life of Joseph. And this is the part where Joseph's brothers are going to be tested Okay, And as I mentioned earlier, as we started into this section of Genesis with Joseph, how are we going to see what God is showing us? Okay, Often the way we perceive a test has a lot to do with how we perform in the test. And if we see it as an opportunity, it's exciting and it's fun. But if it's something where you feel like you don't know the answers you can find yourself having some anxiety. Are we going to see these next four chapters through the brother's eyes or through Joseph's eyes? Are we going to see these chapters through Joseph's father's Jacob's eyes or 
through his new man, his new name, Israel's eyes. Are we going to see these four chapters through eyes of fear or eyes of faith? I just want to take you to the test answer. You know, I've been a school teacher pretty much my whole adult life or a big part of it. And it's always been my policy to give my students all the answers. I would tell them, if, especially if I'm in a classroom and I'm writing on the chalkboard, I guarantee you there will be no question on this test that I don't write on the chalkboard. If you will copy down what I write, you will have all the test answers. I will give you quizzes. I'll even sometimes let you use your notes to take the test. I don't want you to fail. I want you to succeed. I'm giving you what you need to know. And when you know the teacher is going to give you the test answers before the test, that relieves test anxiety. Well, God has given us the answers before we take the test. We just sang, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. I am a child of God. Well, in 1 John, in chapter 4, we pick up at verse 17 reading, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And then here comes your answer, class, to all the questions. In fact, before I even give you the answer, I want to know, does anybody know what the answer is? <laughs> it's Jesus, always has been, always will be. The kids are learning it down the hallway this morning. But here it comes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony. This is the test answer. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you. God has put it on the chalkboard. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus. Okay? So with that to fortify us, let's step in. We're going to probably cover 42 and 43 today, but just be mindful. This is a big test. It covers quite a few chapters, but let's jump in. It says in verse 42, or chapter 42, verse 1, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. So go down to that place and buy for us that we may live and not die. Jacob saw there was grain in Egypt. What was the problem? We just finished last week with Joseph being released from prison. Joseph was in prison because his brothers sold him to Midianite traders. He took him down to Egypt. He found himself in Potiphar's house, was falsely accused, thrown into jail. In jail, he interprets the butler's dreams. And because of that, long story short, he comes out and he uh, interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh says, this is fantastic and makes Joseph prime minister, second in charge of all the empire of Egypt. And they come up with a plan because there's a dream of uh, seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine, and Joseph puts together a plan to save the country during this great global famine. 42.1, when Jacob saw, that there, Jacob saw there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Why don't you go down and get it? We're dying here. What kind of men are you? What kind of fathers are you? How are you taking care of your wives and your children? Go get some food. What's, what's, what, are you, what are you doing? Well, what were they doing? They remembered, oh, Egypt. That's where that brother went of ours. That one that we discarded, threw away, told daddy was dead. Uh, what if we run into them down there? This is what we call a guilty conscience. 
why don't you go get food? I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I get there, right? What might happen? And verse 2, he said, indeed, I have heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us that we may live and not die. So, verse 3, Joseph's ten brothers. So, Joseph is one of them. That's 11. And he's got a little brother who's not going to make the trip. We'll see later. Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest calamity befall him. Verse 5, and the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. If you remember, I, I, I've given you a little prompt occasionally when you're reading through, especially the Old Testament, but it happens in the New Testament too. Joseph's father, Jacob, was renamed by God Israel. And the Bible often uses both names interchangeably, often as He's called Jacob. He's walking according to the flesh, the old man, the schemer, the deceiver, the trickster. But when he is in the spirit, as he's walking, at least in a consciousness and awareness of God, concern for the things of God, then he's called Israel, ruled by God. Okay, He struggled with God and prevailed. And here we have it in two verses. Verse 4, he's Jacob. Verse 5, he's Israel. And it's kind of interesting uh, that he doesn't want to send Benjamin lest some calamity befall me. I'm just, I'm just like, I have test anxiety, right? There's a big test. I don't know. I don't want to let go of my son. And then in verse 5, but the sons of Israel, now in his name honoring him, even though it's not him doing it, but his sons, it's still in that name Israel, went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. It was everywhere, including where they came from. Verse 6, now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people in the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly or harshly, sternly to them. He said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. Okay, just as they had feared, their guilty consciences, what if we run into Joseph, not only do they run into him, but he's the guy they've got to go to to get food. He is the boss of Egypt, he has the power of life and death in his hands, and this is the one they have to go visit. But they don't recognize him. Because it's been over 20 years. Remember, he was 17 when they threw him in the pit and they trucked him off to Egypt. And then he was in Potiphar's house and then in jail for another 13 years. And then after that, he came out and he was robed and, and crowned prime minister. But the first famine went on for, or the first seven years of uh, plenty went on for seven years, right? So we've got 17 and 13 and 7, and when we get into it, you're going to see in chapter 45, verse 11, that it was two years into the famine. So he's about 38, 39 years old now. Last time they saw him, he was a teenage boy. Now he is an Egyptian, but, you know, walks like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian. He's shaved. They're not. He's dressed in regal clothes. He speaks the ancient Coptic Egyptian of the land. And he's in this position of prominence, and they don't recognize him. But he recognizes them. Okay? How often is it that we come before God, God Almighty, King of the universe, and we really don't recognize him? We don't pay him the regard that is due him. We just don't understand how majestic, how awesome, how glorious, how beautiful our God is. Often that's one of the things that impedes us from relationship with him is not recognizing that he is so amazing, so wonderful, and yet he has time to meet our needs. Here their needs are some grain. It is interesting, it says in verse 6, that and Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their face to the earth. Dream come true. If you remember, dream number one, it was back in chapter 37, um, where uh, Joseph had this dream. It says, please hear this dream I have, which I have dreamed. He told it to his brothers, right? 
he says, there, were, there we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright, and indeed your sheep stood all around and bowed down to my sheep, right? It's a very picture of a harvest. In a time of famine, there's the plenty that he has made provision for. They need food. Uh, verse 8, and his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. And you know how that turns out then in the next chapter. His, his father sends him to see what your brothers are doing. And they say, oh, here comes that dreamer. And that was mocking. That prince of dreams. That, that person who can define or discern or interpret dreams. They, they hated Joseph for his ability to have dreams and then tell what the dreams meant. But this is it. It is, it's from God. It came true. It might have taken 20 plus years, but it happened just as God said it would. And so he recognizes them and he speaks to them roughly or harshly. Okay, this is the beginning of a test. Now, in Joseph's life, we can see that he doesn't hold a grudge. He's not bitter. Everywhere he goes, he tries to be better. They throw me in a pit, they sell me, I go to the Potiphar's house. I'm a slave, and Potiphar's house prospers. Bad things happen to me, they throw me in prison. I take over running the prison. The prison prospers. I go before Pharaoh. I share with him what's in my dreams. Everything prospers. Joseph doesn't get bitter. He doesn't hold a grudge. He's forgiven the brothers. But how often it is that God has forgiven me. He's forgiven you, too. He did it 2,000 years ago, hanging from the cross of Calvary. You were on his mind while he was hanging on that cross. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. And we're forgiven. But how many of us have never received that forgiveness? And we're still living in our shame. We're still living in our guilt we have these guilty consciousness, and that seems to be what motivates us and drives us, and we just don't recognize what God has already done for us. Joseph has forgiven them, but he does talk to them roughly, okay? He has forgiven them, but they need to come through the process of confession, repentance, restoration. They need to work out their side of the equation if they're ever going to be on equal footing with Joseph again, right? It's the same as us. Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ. Christ has forgiven us, but if we want to be on that equal footing with him, then we can just look into his eyes and know him as we are known. We've got to come clean with what's in our heart, recognize we're forgiven, and, and move forward. And so this is this big test. It's starting up right here. It says, and he bowed down. That's the Hebrew word shaka which is to pay homage or obeisance. And that would be done in the ancient world. Um, and even today, there's many places where people um, pay homage to royalty in that way. So Joseph recognized his brothers, verse 8. They did not recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies and have come to see the nakedness of the land. Now, you can imagine, Egypt is this world empire. They've got all this grain. Joseph's been storing it for seven years. And all the countries all around the planet are just dying. They need to come. But what king from another country wouldn't say, hey, go in there and figure out their secrets. Look at their defenses. Find out where they're weak. And then we can sneak in and we can take over the whole kingdom. And that will be ours, okay? And so Joseph has to be cunning and clever with all these people who come to his court, and he treats these brothers that way, as though they were spies. Hypocrites, you could say, right? Spies never go in saying who they are. They're always wearing a cover. They always have a disguise. They're a hypocrite. They, don't, they aren't what they appear to be, and these brothers are still living in hypocrisy, as we see. So, we go on into, um, you come out to spy the nakedness of the land, verse 13, and they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan, and in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. Now, they do good with math, but they do really bad with the truth. They're still living in a lie 20 years later. 
what would possess them to tell this perfectly strange man in a country they've never been to before about a brother that they, they sold? Why, why, why would they even bring that up in the conversation? But that's what happens. Oh, oh what a um, tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive, right? It just gets worse and worse as we go on with that. You've got to clear the cobwebs out. They haven't done that. And so they spill the beans. There's 12 of us, but there's only 10. And our little brother's back home. And there's one who is, quote, no more. Okay? It's a lie. It's not true. They're hypocrites. Okay? They're not coming clean before the king, if you would. Okay? Um, and verse 14, Joseph said to them, his reply, it is, as I spoke to you, saying, you are spies. Okay, so he doubles down. You're not dealing straight with me. You're lying to me. It is just like I told you, you guys are dishonest. Verse 15, in this manner, you shall be tested. And here we go. I told you these are about tests, big tests. You will be tested by the life of Pharaoh. That's, a, that's an oath that they're putting him. I am the, the prime minister. I have the power of Pharaoh. I have the power of life and death. And I'm telling you by the power of Pharaoh, this is the authority these words are coming to you. He says, um, by the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that the words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies, okay? And so, pretty pretty grim what's going on here. Uh, I had mentioned in 1 John chapter 4, perfect love casts out fear, and the testimony is Jesus Christ is life. If you've got him, you're doing well. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, we read this, as John writes to us, he says, This is the message which we have heard from him, Jesus, and declared to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And Joseph says, now I'm going to test you by your words. Your words said you had a little brother? Bring him to me. We'll see what kind of words you have. And so they're going to, he's going to find out whether they're walking in the light or in darkness. Then Joseph, 18, said to them on the third day, so he let him sit in the prison for three days to stew on that for a little while. Okay? Sometimes a little time out goes a long ways in our life. Sometimes we put ourselves on timeout. Sometimes we just, we just back away from a situation and say, I need to get a new perspective on this. I need, to, I need to see what wages I've been earning with my activities and, and see where this road is taking me. Well, jo Joseph put him in prison, gave him a little bit of time to think about it. 18, then Joseph said to them the third day, do this and live, okay? For I fear God. This is a pretty amazing statement. They've come to Egypt. The Egyptians worship all kinds of idols, right? The sun god, the frog god, the lice god. You know, you see some of those idols in uh, the Exodus where Moses um, comes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go, and God does all these plagues. And they're all attacking the different gods of the Egyptians. They have so many gods. But here, this person, they don't recognize him. Their brother says, I fear God. He's making confession. I worship Elohim. I worship Yahweh God. I worship the God of the Hebrews. And so you might have sat there for three days thinking about, how's this going to work out for me? How can I wiggle out of it? I've been wiggling for 20 years. I'm a good wiggler. How can I wig out, wiggle out of this? 
And three days later, you come out and you go, this issue, issue isn't about the world. It's not about the courts. It's not about your spouse. It's not about your teacher and the exam that you failed to scale study for. It is and always has been. It's always been about God. That's what's on the table right here. And, and Joseph brings them to this place. He says, do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. But you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. So this is the test. I'm going to let you go. But you're going to have to leave one of your brothers behind. And then you're going to go get your brother. I'm going to give you the grain that you need. And, you know, all this time, do you, you do know that Joseph knows who they are. Joseph knows what circumstances his family back home is in. Joseph wants to do good to his family, doesn't he? He doesn't mean evil to his family. He wants to do good. So you're going to get your grain. Go back, take care of dad and everybody. Make sure that everybody home is taken care of. And then come back and bring your brother. Joseph is caring for his family. But do his brothers care for their family? You see, this is where they fell. And so this is where they're being tested. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. How is it that we can remember something we've done 20-plus years ago, and we still hear the cries, and we still feel the pain, and we still recognize the harm and the damage we've done? Now you can be sure. Confess it to God. We just read. Let Jesus know he will be faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But the scars remain. And these guys hadn't even dealt with it. These weren't even like scars. They were still scabs. They were oozing. They, they were full of wickedness, vileness, pus. It was, it was a real hole in their soul and they have never been able to cover it up. And they say, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. He didn't say anything about that. They brought it up. Why? It's on their heart. It's where they lived. It's who they were. They knew their heart. It was wicked. It was deceitful. And it's just coming forward. We saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, his distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you wouldn't listen. Therefore, behold, now his blood is required of us. Okay? We heard that kind of story. Reuben tried to save Joseph, if you will, back in chapter 37. But it was a weak and feeble attempt. And even though he was the big, big brother, he wasn't a leader. He was weak. He was feeble. He was unstable as water. His father Jacob would finally say, You're, gonna, you're not going to amount to anything. We've already seen him go up to his father concu father's concubine bed and defile that. And, and he's just ruined his name, and he's really not much. But he's trying to say, I told you so. And in some way, trying to get out of the guilt or the responsibility of having been party to that whole episode, right? We'll just put him in a pit, and then when you guys go away, I'll take him out and take him to dad. He was trying to get out of it, but he didn't do a really good... But fundamentally, he's still um, an accessory after the act, <laughs> right? If you're, if you're involved in a conspiracy to murder somebody or to sell somebody into slave trafficking and you know about it and you don't say anything about it, you can't speak up later and say, well, I, I tried to save it. No. Good one. Tell that to the judge. You're an accessory after the fact. And Reuben's trying to wiggle out of it, right? He hasn't really changed in his heart that much. This idea of blood being required of it, we read this back in Genesis chapter 9. When Noah came off the ark, God seeing the wickedness of the world and everything that was going on in that, in chapter 9 at verse 5, he laid down human government. And in that, he gave the right of capital punishment for those who would shed blood. It reads in verse 5 of Genesis 9, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, 
by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So when you kill a person, or even Jesus would say in the New Testament, you even do character assassination. You don't actually do a physical act, but just verbally you slander him. You say he's a fool. He says that is equivalent to having committed murder in your heart. You've got blood on your hands, right? And we know this is sin, and the wages of sin is death, okay? We read that in the book of Romans. And this is something that Reuben is recognizing <laughs> his blood's required of us. Here it comes. Now, this is condemnation. Have you ever been condemned? Okay, when somebody has told you the verdict is negative, you're going down. The, the wages of sin, you owe it now. It's time to pay up. You are facing your condemnation. There's a difference between being condemned being told that you are wrong, being told that you are guilty, feeling ashamed, and all of these things, condemnation always comes from Satan or a tool of Satan, somebody that would allow the devil to speak through him. And it's damning, okay? That's where we get condemnation, has that little word damn in it, to be condemned to hell, to be punished eternally. That's condemnation. If you are feeling condemned, just like these brothers are feeling condemned, the last thing you want to do is turn to God. You want, you want to wiggle out. You want to get away. I don't like it. I don't want to go to church. I they're going to tell me about my sin, and I don't like it when they tell me about my sin. So I just won't go there because I feel condemned. That's the devil speaking. The other thing is conviction. Conviction where... Same thing happens, the same truths are being brought out into the light, but when God convicts you of your sin, that, that prompts this response in your heart that says, I am sorry, God. I understand what I have done. I, I, I am so sorry, and conviction draws you to God. Condemned, condemnation pushes you away from God. Well, right now the brothers are feeling condemned. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. If you remember back at the Tower of Babel, when Nimrod decided to go against God, rebel against God, and, and build this great tower, and they all spoke one language, and God says, man, we've got to do something about this. And he confused their language, so they couldn't work or converse together. They went scattered all over the world. But they were, and we've seen it all through the book of Genesis, they can still go into Egypt, or they can go visit Abimelech. They go to different countries, and they do talk. They talk through interpreters, okay? And here, this just gives straight voice to it. So Joseph understood, of course. He was raised speaking Hebrew, okay, but his interpreter is now speaking for them, so they don't understand that Joseph can hear. This is just kind of a little bit like you and I. Somehow, some way, we sometimes think that God doesn't hear. It's worse than that. God knows your thoughts. <laughs> he knows what you're thinking, and we are, we are fools if we think that um, God can't hear me. Now, I might need an interpreter to understand God sometimes. He's called the Holy Spirit, and he will help us understand deep speaking to deep, the deep things of God by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in everybody who has confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord. His Holy Spirit indwells us, and we can understand God. But when you're on the other side of the fence and you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord, you're not always going to understand what God is doing. And these guys are kind of playing in that side of the field. So it says, uh, he was speaking through an interpreter, and he turned himself away from them and wept. <laughs> and then he returned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound them before their eyes. This is the sixth, the, this is the first of six times we're going to see Joseph weeping, okay? He's going to weep again when he sees Benjamin, his brother. Then we're going to see him uh, weep when he reveals himself to his brothers and they understand who he is. Then he's going to weep again when uh, after 22 years he sees his father and he's going to weep again when his dad dies. And being Father's Day, I think it goes, it's worth stating, real men cry. Real, real men weep 
real men are in touch with grief and emotions, and you don't just stuff it down, okay? You've got to allow grief to happen, and, and Joseph is grieving here, okay? It's, it's real men care. Joseph cared about his brothers. This is a broken family, and, and he's missed them these many years. He's forgiven them a long time ago, and he cares for them, but he can see what kind of a quagmire they've got themselves in here. They just can't seem to get out of their sin. They don't know the way out. They don't understand. He understands, and they're just going around in this deep circle, and he weeps for them, okay? And I think it's interesting. Here we are, Father's Day, and we're celebrating fathers, but, you know, husbands, sons, brothers, um, all these things that are, are good about God making them, male and female, he made them. We've celebrated Mother's Day. This is a time to say, God, you created us in your image to be leaders and protectors and providers. And, and, and the things that men do are wonderful, but we live in a generation today, 85% oh, plus, wait, it's actually more into the 90% in different um, surveys or whatever, you put this together, but over 85%, greater than 85% of all violent crime, drugs, jail time, Broken homes, they're, they're the result of people that have been raised in a broken home. In many, in most cases, over 50% of the kids born in America today, over 50%, the majority of children born today in America will not have a dad. Okay, not a, not, not, not a dad, okay? There might be somebody who fathered them, right? Um, the baby daddy, the sperm donor. Okay, if I can be so crass, but that's the state of affairs we live in today, but they don't have a dad. And these lack of dads, these lack of fathers have created all kinds of problems in our society, and it should make you weep. Is, in the, is there any place inside you that cries? And especially, I would say for guys, because it's, it's that day. I don't know if there's a guy in this room that could say, <coughs> I've never done any of that. I'm not guilty of any of those things. You can't bring that charge and lay in at me. Most every man I've ever met deals with that struggle. You've got to give it to God. Okay, Joseph, he wept. He was free. He, he was free of that. Verse 25. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey, and thus he did for them, okay? So they get all the grain they came to ask for, plus they get enough grain to make the journey home. It's about 250 miles, about three weeks, according to the donkey uh, that's carrying you, okay? So they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed from there, but as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? <laughs> That's conviction. Now God's in the equation. Now it's only a glimmer of God. It's just a peak of the light of God shining into their hearts, but at least now they're recognizing their shame or their guilt before God. Um, See, which one is this my cross-reference? Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 6, we read in verse 22, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. But how do you see you, the events of your life? How do you see your circumstances? How do you see your tests? What has God done to us? God has just opened a door that you can get real. That's what he's done. God has just given you an opportunity in front of your brother who you thought you killed. You, you, you can be forgiven. You didn't even kill him, you know, or sold him. I mean, God has done wonderful things. How are you seeing it? They're not seeing it in a positive light, but at least they're moving in the right direction. 
Verse 29, then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that happened to them, saying, the man who is the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we are honest men, and we are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. So they repeat the story they told to Joseph, and they include the lie. Funny, we're honest men, but we remembered our lie. We got that part right, right? You can see they're, they're, they're battling. They're fighting their way out of this, right? But they're trying to do it on their own power, and they're, they're, they're flailing. So verse 30, the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, by this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you and you may trade the land. So that's what he told us we had to do. And here we are um, trying to deal with this. Verse 35. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. So Apparently what happened was on the way back, they were running out of the provisions they had for the three-week journey. One of the brothers opens up the rations that they were supposed to share with the family. He finds the money. Oh, no, what are we going to do? They finish. They go on home. Now they're telling dad the story, and all of a sudden they open all their sacks, and they all have the money. That's kind of what's happening here, and they're afraid. Now Jacob, notice it's not Israel, okay? This is the father's response in the flesh. Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. I, I skipped that whole part about Simeon, okay? Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me, right? Interesting how when Joseph could hear them and understood what they were saying, and they confessed their guilt, and they decided to keep one brother back, Joseph picked Simeon. Now, we know Simeon, okay? He was the guy in the Dinah incident with Shechem, right, and the, the son. He loved Dinah, but he did bad by her. But then it was Simon and Levi who devised the plot to have them circumcised. And then when they were weak, they went in and slaughtered them all. And um, Jacob will say later on in chapter 49, you are cruel men. You're wicked men. You're mean men. And very possibly, it doesn't say, but it, it piques my curiosity. Why did Joseph pick Simeon? He already has a known pattern of being this wicked, cruel guy. Maybe it was his idea to get rid of Joseph in the first place. Let's kill him. And then he was overruled by Reuben and then um, leave, or, uh, Judah later on. So here he is. And what is Jacob, not Israel, Jacob's response to all this? All these things are against me. Now, in fairness to Jacob, you could say he didn't have the benefit of Paul's letter to the Romans, and he didn't know, Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called to according to his purpose. But in all likelihood, he would have had access to Job, which would be the oldest book in the Bible. And as you open up in the very beginning of Job, we see the devil challenges God for Job, and God says, you can do anything you want to him, and he'll stand strong for me because he's an upright and just guy. Just don't kill him. And we read in verse 13, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. All these things are against me, Job could have said. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and this consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job could have said, And all these things are against me. And verse 17, While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job could have said, all these things are against me. While he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the youngest people 
on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And he could have said, all these things are against me. Verse 20, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshiped. In the midst of calamity, he falls before God and worships. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How do you see the test you're going through? Is this an opportunity for you to shine? Or is it calamity? Is it falling against you? Well, Jacob at that time says, all these things are against me. Verse 37, then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead, okay? Benjamin, his big brother, Joseph, according to Jacob's thinking, is dead. And he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave, okay? <laughs> and so here, Jacob's operating on fake news, okay? He's been told all these years, Joseph is dead. We know Joseph's not dead, but he doesn't know it. And so he's acting according to the lies, Okay, not the truth. And then he responds in this to Reuben saying, man, if you take Benjamin and I lose him too, so not only is it fake news, but he's fantasizing about what would happen if he loses his other kids. And he's borrowing tomorrow's trouble. You know, today's got enough trouble. You don't need to borrow it from tomorrow. But he's putting all these things on himself. Um, I've, I've lost a child. And you know what? That's a grievous thing if you lose a child. But do you know that... God knows where your children are, okay? And, and, and as David would say, when he lost his child, um, I go to be where he's going to be, you know? And God knows where your kids are, right? And what about the future? What's going to happen to my kids? I wonder how they're going to turn out. What if Benjamin goes here and that happens to him? It's like, God knows where they're going, okay? You're, you're missing the whole point. You're seeing it wrong. And what's probably wrongest of all, I know wrongest isn't a word, but it fits really good. Reuben says, kill my two sons if I don't come back with them. Like, that's just stupid, okay? How is that going to help anybody? Okay, Dad, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jacob's dead, and Simeon's in prison, and we'll go down there. If we lose Benjamin, if it makes you feel better, you can kill your two grandkids. Right? Obviously, Reuben's not dealing with a full deck here. Okay. Okay. Chapter 43, we're going to have to go rapidly through this one. This is part of the first part of the test. Now, the famine was severe in the land, okay? So it's repeated. It's not relented. They're in a big pickle. The where did the famine come from? It came from God, right? God told Joseph in a dream, this is what's going to happen. Get ready. So this famine was all part of the plan, and it's severe in the land. God knew it had to be severe because he really needed to get the attention of these boys of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. God's got a plan to use Israel in all of world history to bring Messiah and save the planet. So God is working to save Israel. He does it through a severe famine. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. But Judah, now remember, Frankie did the chapter on Judah. It was inserted here in this last half about Joseph, what the other brothers are behaving like, and Judah behaved quite poorly. But here, Judah behaves admirably and redeems himself and his reputation. Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. It's like, so you just sit here and die? You don't have food? What are you going to do? Verse 6, and Israel, now he's called Israel. See how the name changes? Now, he's not going to be behaving perfectly in this, but now he's falling in line with the will of God. Okay, and so he's referred to in the more positive name. Israel said, why did you deal so wrongly or wickedly with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? What were you thinking, guys? But 
Jacob himself was not an expert at dealing in truth, right? That was not his life pattern. And uh, like father, like son, what, what are you guys thinking, okay? Verse 7, but they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words. Could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Verse 8, then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me. And, when, and, when, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and our little ones. Okay, so now Judah's outside of himself. He's starting to think about his family, his children, and he's rising to the occasion. He's manning up, okay? He, he's, get, he's starting to do the things that um, would earn him a place in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It was through Judah, the lion of Judah was David, and down through David, through this lineage comes Jesus Christ, Messiah, Savior of the world. So we're starting to see the redemption of Judah here. Verse 9, I myself will be surety for him. This is what Jesus has done for us. To become a ransom for many, he would say. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. So they're, they're dragging their feet, and Judah's accepting the responsibility, acknowledging their faults. What is he doing? He's confessing. He's repenting. He's trying to restore. He's trying to get right. Verse 11, And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for a man, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back. And so now he's dealing like Joseph did when he saw his brother Esau coming for him. And he thought, let's send all the flocks out in front and divide our family. And it will just come in wave after wave of gifts. And maybe Esau won't kill me. Remember that story? Well, it sounds a lot the same here. But remember, he's now being referred to as Israel. And so you have to ask yourself, is this a bribe or is it just a gift? Is it just the right thing to do, right? Bribes always come with strings attached. Gifts come with no expectation, but that it's just the right thing to do. A lot of times when you don't know what to do, just do the right thing, right? You're in a pickle. I could play it this way, play it that way. You do the right thing. Let God pick up the details. So, and he says in verse 14, and this is where we see it really turn around for him, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Now he's taking it to the Lord. God Almighty, El Shaddai, our provider, our sustainer. He says, maybe he will have mercy on us. And now he's starting to trust God, right? The God who is able. It's interesting, this word mercy is raham. And it's going to come up again in verse 30 in a very interesting twist. So just remember, here we see Israel in the test. He's starting to turn the corner. He's starting to answer, well, may God Almighty uh, give you mercy. Not, not getting what you deserve. That's mercy. May God Almighty treat us nice and not give us what we deserve. Right? And, and just so you know, this is one of the test questions in life. When you come before the Lord God, and, and, and you look into his eyes and you, and you, you say, what is it going to take for me to get into heaven? It's a good question to know the answer to. It's going to take mercy. You throw yourself on the mercy of the court. You throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. He's already paid it for you. There's not a thing that you can do. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve, and God is not going to punish you because he punished his son, Jesus Christ, in your place. Okay, that's mercy. And now... Israel is saying, maybe God will be merciful. However it turns out, I'm trusting in El Shaddai, God Almighty. Verse 15, so the men took the present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their, land, in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. The man, and I've got that circled in my Bible, this is an unknown man, a, stu uh, a steward 
okay? And it's very much like a picture of Jesus Christ as Joseph and the Holy Spirit as the scooter, as the helper, the parakletos, who comes alongside. And this man, although unnamed, is moving in the place that the Holy Spirit would be in our lives. The man did as Joseph ordered them, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now, the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, is it because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we were brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us and take us as slaves with our donkeys? <gasps> oh, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Right? And their mind starts running away with their guilt. Have they ever confessed their sin about what they did with their brother Joseph? Not yet. Okay? And it's dogging them, and it's still there. Even though Joseph is inviting them into his home, they can't see it. Right? They're not seeing things the way Joseph sees it. Verse 19. When they drew near the steward of Joseph's house to the, near, to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down for, for, for the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to our encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each of man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, so we have brought back in our hand, and when we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food, we do not know who put the money in our sack. In our sacks. So now they're trying to confess. This thing that happened, it wasn't our fault. Okay, let me tell you before Joseph gets here. So I've got an advocate. I've got somebody who's going to speak for, for me. So I'm trying to come clean on this before you. So they're, they're, they're stepping into the realm of confession, but they're not completely honest, right? Verse 23, but he, this is the steward. This is the man, the overseer of Jacob's house. It'd be much as the Holy Spirit is to us. He says, peace be with you. That's the word shalom. How is it that Joseph, the prime minister of Egypt, chief in charge of the world's greatest emperor, speaking Coptic, ancient Egyptian, dressing like an Egyptian, walking like an Egyptian, talking like Egyptian, how is it that his servant is able to address them in Hebrew and say, shalom? That's the word right there, shalom. Perfect peace, rest. It's okay. It's okay. He comes and he says, Peace with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given your, you treasure in your sacks. Like, what? That was God? When, remember what they said? What has God done to us? This is the answer. The man tells him, oh, God gave that to you. <gasps> I wasn't even seeing the gift of God. I thought it was some kind of punishment or curse. And God was trying to bless me. I didn't see it that whole time. He has given your treasure in your sacks. I have your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. So the, men brought, the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet and gave their donkeys feed. So he's, he's treating them like royalty. And, and verse 25, they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that he would eat bread there. Wow, okay, we're going to eat and eat with this guy. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand, into the house and bow down before him to the earth. This is that word shaka again, just bowing down before the Lord. Verse 27, then he said, then he asked them about their well-being and he said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? Okay, so he's entering into the formal ice breaking, uh, reconnecting. Oh yeah, your father you talked about, how is he, right? And what is Joseph? His heart is just like aching. It's yearning to know, how's it going with my dad, you know? Um, in verse 28, and they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. They're like, we still don't know how this is going to turn out. <laughs> and they're just like, they're, they're doing as much as they can possibly do to just eat crow and just humble out in front of this guy and pray that he'll have mercy on them. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to go before God, bow down, and pray, Lord, have mercy on me, especially when you've done something wrong, which they know they have. Verse 29, then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, okay? This is the only other son that was both mother and father. This is his full brother, um, and he sees him for the first time in 22 years. Uh, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Now, 
his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep, and he went to his chamber and he wept there. He just couldn't control himself. I mean, he's overwhelmed. Family reunion. This is my little brother, the brother I love. I see, oh, oh, Lord, you're so good to me. Thank you for restoring this relationship to me. And I've dreamed this. I've, I've prayed this. And it, he did have a dream. In the dream, it was the moon and the stars and the, uh, the moon and the sun and the 11 stars. His brothers were all there. And now it's coming to pass. He said, I prayed this dream for the longest time. And so he, he, he weeps again the second time. It's interesting in this. In verse 29, he says to Benjamin, God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph is extending grace. Jesus is extending grace to us. He's giving us what we don't deserve, right? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. But here, Joseph is giving them what they don't deserve. Grace to you, grace, grace to you. He's just handing out the grace. And then it says in verse 30, his heart yearned. That literally is translated his bowels, and it's really the word for mercy warmed toward them, right? So Jacob, if you remember back in verse 14, says, God Almighty give you mercy before the man. Here, mercy is coming forward. It's the answer to prayer. God is merciful. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Throw yourself on God and his mercy. And sure enough, this is what happened. His heart yearned for his brother, so Joseph made haste, some, sought somewhere to weep, and he went to his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face, came out, and restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. Okay, got myself back together. They still don't know who Joseph is, but he knows who they are. So they set him a place by himself, and they themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. We already touched on this earlier in Pharaoh's house, when Potiphar's wife, or in Potiphar's house, where she calls him a Hebrew, and that's, that's a dirty word, an Egyptian calling somebody a Hebrew. They look down on them, and here they have to eat at three different tables. Joseph has his own table because he's the big cheese, and so nobody can sit with him, even the Egyptians. But then the Egyptians have their own table, and the Hebrew boys have their own table. They don't mingle together because that would just be disgusting to eat at the same table with one of those Hebrews, right? That's how they looked at it. It's full-on racism right here, um, an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him. And it's interesting here. The firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked on in astonishment at one another. Whoa, how do you do that? How did he get us? Now, okay, so there's 11 brothers, and he lined them up in perfect order from oldest Reuben to Benjamin youngest on the table. And they're like, where did that come from? How did he know how to do that? Just, to, just for the math in this, if you want to know the odds of that happening by accident, you have to take all the numbers, 1 times 2 times 3, 1 times 2 times 3 times 4 times 5 times 6 times 7 times 8 times 9 times 10 times 11. And you get 39,916,000 tries, and one of them has to be right. One out of basically 40 million, he could have accidentally got the order right. Now, we know it's not an accident because he knows his brother's. <laughs> that one's pretty easy from our side, what we see. But they're not seeing it. They're not understanding the text yet. Okay, so they're just amazed. Um, and verse 34, he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Whew. Second visit, brought her brother Benjamin back. Looks like it's turning out really good. Man, this guy's he's, he's a crazy cat. Look how he set us up, and he's feeding us, and he knows, he knows more about us than we know about us, and he gives Benjamin five times as much. Worship team, come on up. Um, what's that all about? Well, you could say, well, Benjamin's obviously Joseph's favorite because that's blood brother, full brother, right? You could say that, but I think there's more to it than that. Remember, why did the brothers hate Joseph? Because Jacob loved Joseph more than them. And he was treated better than them and given authority and given a robe and given all these things. And they just despised 
Joseph because of the privilege and the love that Jacob just lavished on him. So now what does Joseph do in front of the brothers? And they don't know. He lavishes love upon Benjamin. He's testing him. Are you going to do the same thing to your brother that you did to me when somebody showed your brother favor? It's an interesting kind of thing. I'm just going to end where we opened up the test. It will continue next week. There's two more chapters of it. It gets better. But we already know the answer, don't we? Love has been perfected among us in that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And this is the testimony. This is the answer, class, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Amen? So you don't have to worry about the test. You know the answer. It's been written on the board, okay? And all you have to do is say, I plead mercy in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and you will be ushered into a banquet and received as a son or daughter in the Lord. This is the gospel. It's the good news. Even though we deserved condemnation, God has brought us to himself. Father, I want to thank you for this morning, and I pray, Lord, that you would continue convicting us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Speak to our hearts. Help us be a light to our path that we can walk according to your spirit in the joy of our salvation without fear, but perfect love in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.